Alright, well, uh, I believe next we're just going to head straight on into today's message, uh, which we're calling Homemade Disciples. Alright, we did a two-part series on this last year on Mother's Day and then on Father's Day. So, can you kind of talk a little bit about why this is worth revisiting again in a fresh way? Uh, yeah, well, this is one of my favorite subjects, so we may just always revisit it on Mother's Day and Father's Day because... <laughs> Sermons forever. <laughs> I just think this is what it's all about. It's If we're supposed to be making disciples, and Jesus said, go and make disciples... Uh, and we've said at Cypress Street now that we want to be uh, learning to live like Jesus and leading others to do the same, which is that going and making disciples piece, uh, you know, then that's got to start in our homes. It's got to start in our homes. It's got to start with our kids, our families. We've got to be the ones learning to live like Jesus, and we've got to be leading others to lead like, live like Jesus. And so um, those that we have the most influence with, our kids, our grandkids, uh, people who, you know, other kids who may look up to you, those are opportunities that you have to lead and make disciples right there, teach them to live like Jesus. Uh, that seems like the best place to start, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a Mother Teresa quote about, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I always come back to that because it's easy to overlook how important this little group that you've been given is, you know, you can love them well, then you can change a lot of things. And for and for people who have kids at home or grandkids that are regularly with them, uh, look, this is, you're so critical in that piece. You know, it's not just about the church. I, I was doing some math earlier and I was realizing that if, if a kid came to our Cypress Street you know, children's church every week. And then they stayed for kids' circles after that every week. Did not miss a Sunday all year. That would add up too. I've got it right here. It's 78 hours approximately of learning about the Bible each year. Now compare that to how much time that same kid is going to spend this year working on reading or math or science. At school, at home, we drill it into them. Uh, they watch shows about it, like this is endless non-stop. We are educating our children in all these different ways, and the parents, no, no parent says, I don't have a role to play in teaching my kid to read or helping them with their homework or helping them with their schoolwork. And, and yet, you know, we have such a small amount of time at church with our kids. It's got to happen in the homes as well. Mm -hmm. We've got to, you know, we've got to do our part. And so that's kind of what, what this is about today. Uh, yep. All right. Well, moms already have plenty of added pressure right now with the whole coronavirus thing. Um, so you're not going to be adding any more pressure today, right? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of grace for moms, especially in this era. But all the time, uh, they, they juggle a lot. Uh, whether you're a stay-at-home mom uh, normally or whether you are a working mom, like all of those jobs is 24-7 and uh, and. Uh, you know, a lot of moms are wearing some new hats now that they're not used to wearing. Absolutely get all of that. Um, so, you know, we'll talk more about this later, the grace aspect of this. And, um, you know, definitely not just trying to add and heap more burdens and more to-do lists onto anybody. Um, and yet, I do think moms will play just a critical role with their kids' faith and have for generations. So Definitely. All right, well, let's look at a passage of Scripture. This is found in Luke 2, 
verses 41 through 52. So go ahead and grab your Bible, or if you've got an extra device there, you can just pull it up. Um, but that's going to be found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. So this is the account of when Mary and Joseph actually lost Jesus. What a scary feeling. Um, so they lost Jesus, um, but they found him in the temple. So let's read that together. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Yeah, so I've you know known this story for a long time, and I think I've always just concentrated on Jesus and like this cool story of how he just wowed everybody and all that kind of thing. So, you know, and I don't think it's bad to focus on Jesus, but it was fun this time thinking through a parenting lens to look at Mary and Joseph and see what stood out. Yeah, that's interesting to read um, the story as a parent and placing yourself in their shoes and what it would be like to lose any child, let alone God's child. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, and it tells us a little bit of something about Joseph and Mary that maybe we hadn't really paid attention to before. So, like, especially if you read between the lines a little bit. Uh, we know that from Luke chapter 2 earlier, uh, earlier in the same chapter, that they took Jesus as a baby to Jerusalem, kind of like a, the Jewish version of what we do with baby dedications. Um, but it was at a particular time, you know, they had kind of a ritual that they went through, but they were devout enough to be serious about that and to take their child and to offer the sacrifices that they would offer at that time and to have their child be, you know, blessed by a, a priest and that kind of thing. Uh, and in this passage, we're told that they went every year. This was the first year they took Jesus, because he was turning 12, he had turned 12. But they went every year to Passover. They traveled down by foot to Jerusalem. Um, you know, lots of Jews did that, but they were one of the faithful that went every single year. And I think that says something about them. Uh, they, we should take note what kind of Jews they were. They were devout and faithful believers. They loved God. They followed God and His ways and His commands. And that could not be said about everybody in that culture. Uh, there were people who would do that legalistically for sure, uh, but there were also a lot of people in, in Jesus' day that uh, they get labeled sinners, but basically they were the non-religious. I mean, they, 
they were Jewish, you know, and, and probably they believed in God, and we probably know a lot of people like them around our culture that, uh, you know, just good old boys and that kind of thing, you know, yeah, I mean, not particularly bad people, but they just don't do much religious stuff. They're not really into following all the rules and all that kind of thing. Um, but we know that Jesus' parents were serious about their faith. Yeah. But this passage also tells us a lot about Jesus, doesn't it? Like, this was pretty incredible for a 12-year-old boy to be doing all this. Yeah, so I mean, apparently the scene is he's in the temple with Jerusalem's elite teachers and scribes and experts on the law, and he's wowing them with questions and answers. Uh, I've done a little bit of research about this, uh, and and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, basically, yeah, let me just let me just say this at this point. When I read that before, I always felt like, okay, well, that's Jesus doing his Jesus Superman thing, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of because he's superhuman, uh, he could do that. And I like it never even registered to me that he would have learned about the Torah as a child, like been taught. Uh, to me, it was just like, well, he was born knowing it because he was right. God's son. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I've been thinking about. We believe as Christians that Jesus was, yes, fully divine, but also fully human. And this means something like this. And I'm not saying that I'm getting it perfect, but, uh, you know, every, every person we believe is is a body part one <laughs> and is a spirit part two and jesus body was just as human as my body and your body and we believe that he had this spark of god's spirit within him that's this that made him divine that made him different um, and so when you saw jesus and experienced getting to know jesus you were getting to know the father and what the father was like Scripture tells us he was the exact representation of God, but his body was still a human body. And that means that as he developed as a child, he developed the way all children's bodies develop and their minds develop. Like all those things that you learn if you take a child development course in, in college or something, right? All those things apply to Jesus as well. And so he would have gone to school like the other kids and learned things and had to learn things to put them in his brain to be able to use them, you know? Right, exactly, yeah. So thinking about bodies and brains and spirits, um, it's very philosophical and interesting, but what's really the point of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I just think that it's easy to discount what his parents did, what his teachers did, like the role that they played. Uh, they, you know, Joseph and Mary, like, God didn't just put his son with just anybody. He put his son with some faithful parents who taught and raised their child up in the way he should go. And they taught him the things that he needed to know about God's word so that it could be in his brain so that that special um, divine part of him would have access to that in his brain. You know, like he's still a fully human body. And I know this is hard to wrap our, our brains around, but I think it's worth trying for a minute because it's so easy just to write that off and say, oh, well, that's Jesus. We can't be like that. But there's a sense in which the same sort of thing is available to us. And we see that like with the story, there's a story in Acts where Jesus disciples, these plain old fishermen, um, you know, uneducated, that kind of thing. They've been hanging around Jesus. 
and they get put in front of these same the same group of elites in the temple, these the same experts. Uh, you know, it's a it's maybe a generation later, but it's the same you know elite group, and that group looks at these guys and says, "Okay, they look like regular fishermen, but they've clearly been with Jesus." And and they saw and the, just the that. The way that they were able to answer, their command of scripture, their command and understanding, like this happened because of the time they spent with Jesus and because they had received the Holy Spirit. And so we are also um, in the same boat where we can choose what we put in our minds and we can partner with the Holy Spirit to be able to use that content in our minds for his purposes in pretty incredible ways. And every person, every creation of God, every Every being that he has called and has answered his call and comes to faith in Christ can be that person. It just takes discipleship. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so what do you think was a typical education for people like Peter and John or even for the girls that became disciples and followed Jesus around? Yeah, so like what did they have before they met Jesus maybe even? Yeah. Um, so I've done some research on this. Um, most of the Jewish education at that time, big surprise, would have been mostly for boys. Uh, now, girls could get an education through like a private tutor and things like that. Uh, and, and a lot of times their parents would teach them things at home. It's not like they were completely ignorant of, of anything, you know. But as far as formal education in, in any kind of public sense, that was pretty well reserved for boys. Uh, so I think that might be interesting why it seems like some of the women that followed Jesus as disciples of Jesus were seemed to be from like the upper crust or whatever and i wonder sometimes if maybe they had had private education and so they were able to engage in a way that some women in their day couldn't i don't know that's just pure speculation but as far as um, the typical education for guys like peter and john uh, at around age six or seven they would enter a school where essentially they memorized the torah this is what I've been. This is what I've read. It's still hard for me to believe, uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, school for them. They didn't have a lot of pencil and paper. They didn't have computers. They didn't. Have, they recited over and over again and memorized the Torah. So that by the time they were about twelve, that age again, by the time they were twelve, they would have that stored in their brain. So what is the Torah? That's Thank you. Yes. The Torah is the five, first five books of the Bible that are essential to the Jewish faith. It's the books of the law is what they call them. So I'm glad you asked that because sometimes I just... So that would be all that. of so, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, so then at age 12... Would this be like a basic knowledge or word-for-word -word memorization like they could it was quote a, it. yeah in an oral language like non-literate culture that was memorized they could quote it um, now i don't know that they retained like full recitation for their whole life or whatever but that was the project that they went through and, and some of them did no doubt but um you know that was the, that was at least the goal of that time period um, and so at age 12 some of them who showed promise, uh, who maybe memorized it the best or the quickest or whatever, they would move on and work with a rabbi at age 12. And during that time is when they would begin to learn how to interpret what they had stored in their minds and really wrestle with 
scriptures and what do they mean and how do they apply. And to do that, they had this question and answer format that they would use. I'm not that familiar with it, but from what I understand, uh, you know, a rabbi would ask questions and the students would learn to answer oftentimes with other questions that showed that they had a grasp of the knowledge so good that they could turn around with another question to their teacher um, that made sense and fit with the whole thing. So kind of a totally different style of learning than what we're used to in our culture. Uh, but I think it adds so much insight to this story where Jesus is in the temple and there's questions and answers happening and they are wowed by him. Well, okay, put it together. He's age 12. So he's finished with the Torah. This is his first trip to Jerusalem as a 12-year-old boy having finished his first, you know, basically elementary school, the first round of school. And he shows up here at age 12, and he's already able to play this game of question and answer with the Jerusalem's best. And, and so they're sitting here like, this kid's 12. <laughs> you know, like he hasn't even been with a rabbi yet to learn how to do this very well. I mean, maybe he's had an introduction at this point at best. Yeah. And, and so what it kind of shows is that, you know, that divine aspect of Jesus is able to do so much more with what was stored in his brain than what maybe the average person could do without the Holy Spirit's help, right? You know, like, uh, so that's a really cool moment, but it just kind of adds some insight into it. Jesus had just spent five to six years learning this stuff, and no doubt his parents helped in that process. Wow. So, most Jewish children went to school pretty much the way our kids go to school. I, um, not, from what I've read, not really. They, uh, it was not like go off to the schoolhouse or go to the public school or, you know, go out to the bus stop. No, none of that. Um, but it was, so it would have been kind of casual and informal settings and maybe they just gathered out in the courtyard or at the synagogue or, uh, you know, where in a, in a field, most likely just outdoors somewhere and sat down and learned. So, um, a lot of it would have had to rely on like, you can just assume that those students that come out to age 12, ready to go on with a rabbi into the next level of their education are the ones whose parents invested in them as well because there was not this formal system in place. And I mean, even in our formal system that we've got, it's the kids whose parents are engaged that go on to college and do well and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they talk to us about that all the time in our cultural right? Yeah. So. All right, so what can we take from this um, on this Mother's Day Sunday <laughs> here in 2020? All right, so this was my statement last year. It's my statement this year. Let's parent to make disciples, or let's grandparent to make disciples. Let's be intentional with how we parent and grandparent our kids and our grandkids. Uh, let's be purposeful about it. And just as we're intentional when it comes to our kids' education and we want them to do well with, with their schooling or with athletics, um, this is so central, I mean, foundational. I think we if we if we asked all of us, like, what's the most important thing for your kid? You know, you'd give the churchy answer. <laughs> because down deep somewhere, you believe that this is the most important thing, that God is more important than anything else, that knowing Him and learning to follow His ways is the most important thing that your kid can learn. And so let's just be that intentional and more intentional and not, I mean, we can't leave it to our government 
because our government is separate from the church. They're not going to teach our kids anything about God that we'd want them to know, at least. <laughs> and so we have to do our part. And taking them to church, that's, you know, that helps. Uh, but it's, it doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. All right, so you see these ancient parents like Mary and Joseph as examples for us to aspire to? Yeah, I mean, parents like them took the command seriously that's in Deuteronomy that they themselves would have memorized as kids. And the, let me just share this with you. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 6 in Deuteronomy says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And of course, talking about the law of Moses, talking about the Ten Commandments and, and the other laws like them in, the, in that Torah we've been talking about. Uh, that these were not just supposed to be things that they just memorized and stowed away. Uh, these were not just supposed to th be things that got written on stone tablets and stowed away. This was supposed to be what they talked about and thought about all the time. And it was supposed to be worked into their family life so that it got passed on from generation to generation to generation. And this was God's vision for his people from the beginning, and it still is today, that we would be faithful to pass the torch on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So how can we actually go about doing that? Uh, yeah, well, thankfully, the, I didn't have to work real hard on that application point because it's right there in that Deuteronomy text. Basically, work it into everyday life. Uh, when you're sitting around at the house, talk about God. When you're sitting at the dining room table, talk about God. Uh, you know, when you're walking down the road or you're driving down the road, talk about God. Talk about faith. Talk about your faith. Be real with your kids. When you're going to bed at night, read a Bible story, not just superhero stories, you know. So, I mean, every now and then we just take a break and go through a Bible story book when I'm putting the kids to bed at night. Uh, it's not every night, but for a season we'll do it, and then we'll come back to it again later. Uh, you know, work it into the everyday stuff, working into your waking up and getting ready for the day routine. Um, what can you do? Can you read a verse together as a family? Can you do something? Do you, can you have like a little devotion that you can read at the family table at dinner or at breakfast or something? Mm -hmm. uh, it's that kind of thing. It looks different for every family, but the families that do well at passing the torch on to the next generation are the ones that it's real for them. They, the parents themselves are learning to live like Jesus, and they're doing so in front of their kids so that their kids receive that and, and can carry that torch forward. Yeah, that's good. All right, so this message is really both for moms and dads, right? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, definitely not on this Mother's Day Sunday putting all of this on moms. <laughs> um, you know, and there's some moms who may feel like, well, guess what? In my world, it is all on me for whatever reason. Uh, maybe you're a single mom. Or maybe, you know, your husband's just not into the church thing or whatever. I totally get that. And, but look, you're, you're not meant to have to do this alone. And our church family wants to help. Our church wants to help. Uh, you know, I, I hope that every mom listening today knows at least one godly man somewhere in your life. Maybe it's, you know, your dad. Or maybe it's, you know, and some kind of other 
older gentleman figure, um, just somebody in your church family, somewhere that, where you can look around and say, that's a godly man, and, and empower them to spend some time you know, with your kids, because absolutely, I think this works best when there's a mom and a dad you know, pouring this into their kids. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, God made moms and dads, so both moms and dads are needed, you know, as best, you know, optimally. So, yeah. All right, so moms can seek help, but this still adds another burden to parents that they might not have already been feeling, and that can be pretty overwhelming. Uh, so how do we keep this from becoming another guilt-inducing parent or grandparenting responsibility? Yeah, um, you know, part of it is we just have to, each of us can only be responsible for doing the best that we can do. We, we, we trust God to help us. We pray that he'll help us. Uh, we try to be intentional about it, but we're not going to be perfect. So, I mean, we've got to give that up. And, and we're not responsible for how we're, our kids are going to turn out either. Uh, all we're responsible for is that, well, someone told me this week, I'm only responsible for my relationship to God and for doing what He asked me to do to the best of my ability. I'm not responsible for what other people do, even my own kids. When they grow up, if they choose to walk away, like, that's not on me. What's on me is to do the best that I can do in this season, to pass the torch forward. So we have to take some pressure off. We have to remember that God's the best father of all time, and he's got plenty of kids that have wandered off. You know, that always encourages me to think about, um, you know, take some pressure off and just say, okay, I want to have a, a vibrant relationship with the, with the Lord. You want to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Let's just do our best to live that publicly in front of our kids and be real with them. Uh, and that, I mean, that's basically the main thing that we're asking for more than like checklist is just to be, make this a real part of your life that, that they see, you know? Right. Yeah. That's been something I've been working on this last year, you know, um, one, giving myself grace for, um, not being perfect, but also when I do make mistakes, especially if they're ones involving the kids, if I lose my temper or something like that, I come to them and I say, I'm sorry for acting that way. And I remind them that I'm a work in progress too. And so I, I just have been trying to bring that back to Jesus, not in a preachy way, but in a real way to say, this is something that I'm working on. I'm working on not losing my temper when I get frustrated and they can relate to that because they're working on their self-control mm -hmm. too. So um, just reminding them that I'm not perfect. I am sinful just like everyone else. And Jesus died for me too, I think is a good reminder for, I'm getting all emotional, <laughs> um, a good reminder for children of just this daily grace that's being offered to them and to us. Yeah, and, and the newness of life that's available in this journey that we're on with God. And, um, that, you know, sin doesn't have to be the final answer. Um, that, that, we, that God is making a difference in our lives and He can make a difference in their life too. And so, yeah, just being real like that. Yeah. I, I think that's the main thing, don't you? Yeah. And that, to me, at least takes some pressure off. I don't, I don't know. Maybe at least it doesn't feel like we're heaping more of a to-do list on you other than just to, you know, if this is a real part of your life, let it show. That's right.
and you don't have to be perfect with it. It's okay to just try and try again. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So let's parent and grandparent to make disciples. Deal? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. You want to say a prayer for us and especially um, pray for the mothers and grandmothers and the special ladies in our life. All right. Father, we thank you especially for moms and, and grandmothers and, and yes, the special ladies in our lives. Um, and God, we recognize that the responsibility of parenting is a hard one. And at the end of the day, there's only so much that we can do. There's only so much that our moms can do. But Holy Spirit, you can help us to do what we can to the best of our ability to make disciples in our homes. So we ask that you would help us to do that. I pray that for each mom listening, each grandmother listening, each, each, each woman that has an opportunity to influence a child in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would bless them in that effort, help them in that effort, encourage them today in their faith, in their love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And, you know, look, some, someone listening today that maybe hasn't placed their faith in Christ and hasn't decided to follow Jesus, uh, you know, I just I think about that sometimes it's an example of a mother figure in your life, a mom or a grandma that was so faithful in her love for the Lord and, uh, and prayed for you that you would know the Lord and why put it off any further? Uh, why not honor them and honor their example and choose this day to follow the Lord just as they would, had prayed that you would do? And uh, so I just invite you to do that. And you can do it right in your home. You don't have to have an altar at church. You know, you, you can decide right now that you want to follow the Lord. You can confess your sin and repent from it and turn your back on it and embrace his new way of life, um, you can do that right where you're at. And I pray that you will today.